So we are into a new series um, with the Old Testament book of Jonah. Okay? It's a well-known book, or at least a well-known story, mainly for its story about um, the big fish. Right? But maybe not so well-known for its real message about the compassion of God. Jonah is the only Old Testament book of prophecy that is predominantly written about the life of the prophet and not just what his message that he brings is to a group of people. And so we're going to see, starting this morning, that God offers Jonah a challenging call. And and that's certainly a message um, that's prominent in the book. But the greater lesson, at least that I have found, probably more relates to um, how we challenge God's call on our life. His calls are often challenging, okay? but there are times when we push back, when we challenge what he's asked us to do, just like Jonah did. So this short book, it's only four chapters, 58 verses, but it's going to pack a lot into a little space these next four weeks. It's going to talk about the nature of God's relationship to people who don't know him, his relationship with people who oppose him. It's going to talk about um, his relationship to his creation, and specifically his relationship to one of his messengers. We'll see a storm at sea. We'll see the conversion of unbelievers. We'll see the, a miraculous rescue, a song of praise, and, and we're going to watch the repentance of Israel's arch enemy, which is one of the twists in the whole piece. But mostly we're going to look at this intimate, personal dialogue between God and a reluctant prophet. It's going to cover subjects like obedience and denial and repentance and submission and faithfulness and God's view on the persistence of evil in the world that he created. It's a tall order for a short four-week series. But the text is going to take us there. We're going to look at it one verse at a time. So I want you to open your Bible actually to two places this morning. You can open it to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be there. And then I want you to go back to where we were in the fall and put another finger, if you use a Bible with paper, in Psalm 139. Okay, And the Bible's in front of you. Jonah is page 916. Psalm, 19, Psalm 139 is, is page 618. Okay? Now again, Jonah, uh, he, he's a believer. Okay? He's a prophet of God that God is using around the year 800 B.C. Okay? This book is what we know him most for, but he's also mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. In 2 Kings chapter 14, he's called on to deliver a message to King Jeroboam II, who is the leader of the northern tribes of Israel. Okay? And it's a tough calling because he, Jeroboam was not a good king. And it's harder. It's hard to um, speak a message of truth <laughs> to someone who is intent on living a life that is evil. But his harder calling is found here in the book of Jonah, where God calls him to speak truth to an unbelieving people in an evil city that is part of an evil empire by name of the Assyrians. Not the Syrians, but the Assyrians. Okay? Now, I think it's going to challenge the way um, you see serving God. 
And I think I'm pretty confident it will challenge the way that you see the way you see God himself. Certainly it did for Jonah. And it's really the heart of the message of this book. Now, rhetorical question. Um, have you ever tried to run from God? Ever tried to hide from him? Ever tried to escape his view? The wider I get, the more encompassing it feels. Like I get over all of us. Right? We've all struggled with that. We've all at times probably done that. Remember our study last fall in Psalm 139 when David wrote these words in verses 7 and 8 where he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Can you get away from God? David would indicate the answer is no. Read through the book of Jonah and you're going to see that, that Jonah's going to give it a try. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we start. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. For a long time, critics believed Jonah wasn't even um, a reliable book because they couldn't even find the city of Nineveh, didn't believe it ever existed until the 1840s when some British archaeologists discovered the city of Nineveh and uncovered it in what is current-day Mosul in Iraq, and it had been found. Now, the Assyrians, back in Jonah's time as they studied them, were known as one of the cruelest and most ruthless empires ever in history. They were known for skinning their enemies. They were known for publicly dismembering their enemies. <laughs> they were known for beheading their enemies and putting their heads on poles, sometimes in multiples on the same pole, and parading parades of victory with these heads on these poles. They were terrorists. They were evil. And so put yourself in Jonah's shoes as a follower of God. He's called by God to go into the heart of one of the most sadistic people ever, known for their cruelty to outsiders and those they conquered, into the terrorist stronghold, if you will, and preach to them about how bad they are. <laughs> there weren't a lot of people signing up for that job. And Jonah had no interest in that job. So how do you respond when God calls you? And not only calls you, but calls you to engage your enemies. And the twist we're going to see in the book of Jonah in this story is not that Jonah is fearful for his life. He fears that God is going to have mercy on these people that he hates and that are so evil. He didn't want to deliver to them a message that would not only change their lives, but also a message that would get them right with God. He wanted them to be destroyed. Hang around, you'll see as we unfold this series that this is true. Back in Jonah 1, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, 
to flee from the Lord. So no question what he's doing here. It's right before us. God says, go to Nineveh. That's east. So Jonah heads on a boat, boat to Tarshish. That's west. <laughs> okay. Now he's later going to admit, in chapter 4, verse 2, that he was quick to flee from God. He didn't have to consternate on this for a long time. He didn't have to think, well, what if? He didn't think, God, did you really mean me? He's like, not interested. I'm out of here. That's how it happened for him. But is Tarshish, is that beyond God's reach? Could Jonah have maybe read the words that David, the king of Israel, the poet, had, had penned 200 years earlier in Psalm 139? Think about the imagery of Nineveh and Tarshish when David writes, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, that's the east. If I settle on the far side of the sea, that's the west, verses 9 and 10. Verse 10 says, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Sometimes we think of God's hand holding our hand. Even there your hand will hold me fast. <laughs> Sometimes I think God just grabs me by the scruff of the neck. <laughs> and that's how he's holding me. And I think that's what's going on with Jonah here. Wherever Jonah goes, God pursues him. That's the point. Now, how do you get a, a prophet who follows God and speaks on his behalf to flee instead of follow him? Well, you give him a seemingly impossible call. I mean, Jonah flees. He takes this ship to Tarshish, which is in Spain. In Jonah's time, if they would have mapped out the places that they knew... Tarshish was as far west as you could go. He had no interest in God's call. Okay? And, and I would suggest that we not see Jonah's running just as disobedience, though it was. It's more related um, to Jonah disagreeing with God about how these evil people of Nineveh should be treated. He's not running from God as much as he's running from a call from God, okay? I'm not sure that that's on your notes, but that's, it'll be, it's on one of the slides, okay? He's running from what God's asking him to do, to be a witness to his enemies. Now, Jonah would have preferred to be, at that point, Nahum. Nahum was another prophet, and Nahum dealt with the people of Nineveh. And this is what God tells Nahum to do in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We read this, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, 150 years after Jonah, Nahum is going to take that message to Nineveh. <laughs> Jonah's like, give me that one. Like, that fits my thinking. But this, God, this doesn't fit. So he's on this boat to Tarshish. Back in Jonah 1, chapter, um, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now you have to believe that this storm is huge. That these sailors, this isn't their, their, their first trip, and they don't frighten 
easy when the tiny ship was tossed, but there was no courage in this fearless crew like a Gilligan's Day. You know, they're all afraid. I mean, this is major, and they don't know, and, and this is life and death for them. So each one cries out to their God. Have you noticed um, that when storms show up in your life or in others' life, that it tends to show who a person puts their faith in and what's important to them? Who do you cry out to during the storms of your life? I mean, not long before this, the cargo was the point to the trip, right? That's what this vessel was for. It doesn't matter now. Their lives are on the line. And so they lighten the load. And I think we just would do well on a side note to remember, just stop for a moment and say, you know, God still uses storms in our lives today to show us where we put our faith, to show us what really matters in our lives. Apparently Jonah's not ready for those life lessons, though as we're going to see in our text. Because when we read in verse 5, it says, But Jonah, while they're up on the top deck throwing off the cargo, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. It's amazing how violently the description is that the storm was rocking the boat and yet Jonah's asleep. Did I mention that Jonah was running from God? <laughs> okay. That his mind and his heart were so closed to God at this point that he doesn't want to hear from him. In fact, as we read through the story, you realize he's really just pretty indifferent about his life altogether if this is the life that God has planned for him. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Ever been that way with relationship to God or spoken to someone who is that way in the relationship to God? They don't want to hear what God has to say about whatever's going on in their life or whatever person that God wants them to deal with. I I have met that more times than I care to remember. People whose hearts become so hard, become so um, pressed on their own way that they have no interest in God's way in their life. The crazy part about the book of Jonah is that two different times we're going to see unbelieving people hear God's message and take it to heart. While Jonah, the believer, the prophet, refuses to listen and just runs from God. Look down at verse 7. It says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. I think they're probably figuring it out by now. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Now, casting lots was an Old Testament way of asking questions of God. These days we have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and I think this one's interesting because these sailors, well, they didn't know the true God. But they're asking for an answer, and God wanted them to know the answer because Jonah wasn't volunteering the information. <laughs> God knew the answer. Jonah knew the answer. Now they know the answer. 
So the men begin to ask questions when they figure out that he is the reason for all of this. Five questions really fast in a row there in verse 8. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answers in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah's response just reminds us like he knows better. He knows what God has made, including this raging sea, and he knows there's no escaping him. And the soldiers get it, or the sailors get it too. Down in verse 10 it says, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Okay, Think just a translation here. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're running away from the God who made the sea and you decide to do it in a boat. <laughs> Does that make sense to anybody? They go on. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Like this conversation is not going on in a lull. It's like going on during the crashing waves of the storm. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. That is such a hard seat to be in. You ever had this aha moment that says, my life is a wreck and it's my fault? <laughs> the, the, the weight of my sin is crushing down on me. Worse than that, the weight of my sin or my choices is crushing down on the people around me. Some, in this case, people I don't even know. Jonah says, this is between me and God. So throw me overboard, knowing that overboard meant a death sentence. It's interesting, like Jonah chooses, throw me overboard, instead of repenting himself. Maybe he thought he was too far gone to repent. Likely he was just that set on not carrying out God's call to go to Nineveh and preach God's message of repentance to them. When he does know that's his sin, he does know that. Right? He knows it's not the, the fault of these sailors. And so he gives them a way to save themselves. But they have more of a conscience than he has. Look at verse 13. Instead, the men bid their best to row to the land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, we read in verse 16, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now that's pretty incredible. These unbelieving sailors fear the Lord. They try to avoid being responsible for Jonah's death, first by rowing harder, then by pleading with God. And God honored their hearts by calming the sea. They got the message of the storm. They made sacrifices and vows. Take note, Jonah did not. 
Jonah could have chosen to get right with God. He could have chosen to accept God's call on his life. Isn't it amazing sometimes how simple it is for those who don't know God to understand Him and to get right with Him? While religious people with a knowledge of God can be so stubborn. But Jonah's not going to get away that easy. Right? Look down at verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay? We're going to look at that verse along with chapter 2 next week. Okay? But we've covered a lot of text this morning here in Jonah chapter 1. And I want us to think um, through some application with regards to running from God's call on our lives. Some lessons that we can learn from Jonah. And the first one is this. Okay? Sometimes a follower of God can harden their heart against God. Okay, we certainly see this in Jonah's life, and we're going to see it continue to unfold in the rest of this book over the next three weeks. But consider again the words of David in Psalm 139 toward the end of the chapter. I think it's a pretty good rendering of Jonah's heart, of his thoughts toward these people of Assyria that he hated so much. Remember, sometimes a psalm is more about honest thoughts than it is about right doctrine. Right? All through the Psalms, David is pouring out his heart. And sometimes it's appropriate, and sometimes it seems a little inappropriate. But he's not pouring out theology. He's often pouring out just his thoughts. And look at what he says when David gets um, so sick and tired of evil in the world. Psalm 139, being in verse 19. He says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent, God. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. I suppose most of us at one time or another have asked God to destroy wicked people. We can develop in our hearts a hatred for certain people in general because of what they do or what they believe. But sometimes, if we're honest, maybe more often than that, we get there towards a certain person because of what they've done to us or to someone that we love personally. Most of us have felt that way. But look at David, how he, he, he's so honest in his struggle and so pliable in his heart. In these words right after, beginning in verse 23 of Psalm 139, he says, But search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David steps back from his anger. Back from his anger and asks God to keep his heart um, and his thoughts in check. And to make them right if he has it wrong. Number two. 
God or his word can reveal to us something about God that we do not like. And he can call us to people we don't like. I almost put, and he will call us, because that seems to be the road we go down through sometimes. Like God continues to want us to reconcile relationships with people at times. David Crowder, in his song, Praise the Lord, writes these lyrics. He says, I used to shake you like an eight ball. I used to shoot you like a gun. I used to hold you like a hammer, try to nail down everyone. I used to keep you in a steeple. I used to bind you in a book. I used to take you like a prescription without knowing what I've took. But now I just don't buy it anymore. No, I've tried and I've tried to know everything for sure. But I find I know less as I come to know you more. You're not who I thought you were. Praise the Lord. Have you ever tried to fix a problem <laughs> or a person by using God or his word like a truth hammer and beating someone into your way of thinking or into shame or into submission? But what if God isn't like that? Like what if God truly loves those people or he truly loves that person, whoever they are in your life? And when God calls us to reach out with compassion to those people, we realize that our doctrine can be right and our heart can be wrong. Some of that's going on here with Jonah. When it is, listen to me close, like when it is, when we stand in the way of God's plan, okay, changing our heart becomes part of God's plan. Instead of being used by God, sometimes we become the focus of God's work. Jonah is going to shape our thinking about second chances. And it's going to form our thoughts about the ability of those who do wicked things to repent and to get right with God. Lesson number three. There are parts of God that we don't understand and we need to learn. This is a journey that we are on. Jonah was fearful of and rebellious against God's plan, but he was also like morally opposed to God's mercy being offered to these enemies of Israel because they were terribly evil people, and in his mind, they didn't deserve God's love. They didn't deserve an opportunity to repent. They deserved death. And so is it possible that Jonah is not just being rebellious? He was but that he's acting on what he believes about God. He believes that evil deserves punishment, that those who oppose God should be destroyed. He believes in justice, and so would nearly all of God's people in his time, and so do many of God's people in our time, including us. He's not interested in being part of their redemption. But God was. And Jonah needed to learn more about the mind and the heart of God. He was out of sync. He was out of line with God. And God's going to work to bring him in line, as we'll see in his story. Listen, un understanding God is a lifelong journey. Because his ways 
are not like our ways. And following God can be difficult in a world in which everyone is typically going the opposite direction of what God is calling us to do and how he's calling us to live. And obeying God um, is generally just at least uncomfortable because it calls us to say no and to die to ourselves on a regular basis. And following God is always going to be challenging because it's in the challenge that we grow and that we bear fruit for his kingdom. So question, are you facing a challenge? Like has this message or the book of Jonah, uh, will it awaken or reawaken something inside of you that might just get a little bit ugly and dark? (laughs) and a little bit uncomfortable as we think about God's grace to people who in our mind might not deserve it. Well, is there something God's calling you to? Is there something that you find yourself running from? We're going to take just a couple moments here and I'm just going to let us pray. I don't assume that God is calling you to anything. But I don't assume that he's not. And as his followers, we just take a moment to say, God, if there's something that you want in my life, if there's someone that you're calling to in my life, if there's a task or a challenge, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Open your ears and your heart and listen to God. Just pray that prayer and then in a moment I'm going to come and I will pray and then we'll worship and if you want to talk about that or pray with someone about that, we'll be in the back afterwards. All right, let's pray together.